0: Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, guess what book of the Bible we're in today? Yes, you guys are so good. Y'all are really getting the hang of this. Hey, if you're new at Redemption, one of our favorite ways to be able to preach the Bible here is that we love to preach straight through entire books of the Bible. So we pray about it, we pick a book, we choose a book, and then we study that book. And we do everything in our church during that series based around this book. And so right now we're in the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark now for about a year. We're six chapters in, there's 16 chapters. So we're going to be... In Mark for a while. See, we love to preach the Bible. We love to study the Bible and we pick a book and then we just go all the way till we're finished or until Jesus comes back. But either way, we are in the book of Mark. And today, if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And you're going to see one of the most famous, well loved, beloved Bible stories. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000. How many of you ever heard that story? You heard that story where Jesus feeds the multitude, five loaves, two fish. How many of you are glad we're not talking about Herod again? You're like, yeah, that was awkward. That was awkward. Um, you know, but that's the truth. When you preach straight through the Bible, I mean, sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes you're preaching over John the Baptist and Herod and people getting their heads chopped off. And then the next week you're like, hey, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It's incredible. And you're like, that's, that's weird. Sometimes I feel like a crazy person, but that's just kind of the way that the Bible works. I mean, how many of you last week when you're doing your little you know Bible reading for your kids and you're tucking them in at night and you're like, I wonder what we're going to study on Sunday. And you're like, ooh, I can't do that one. Flip the page, flip the page, flip the page. And then you came across this in the very next verses Jesus feeding 5,000 people you're like oh yeah I'll read them that one that one's a great one okay but but that's something that's that's something that we all just need to work through and struggle with and be able to understand that that's really actually one of the most beautiful parts about the Bible because the Bible is the most honest book that has ever been written. And today what we're going to see is the most famous, well-loved, beloved stories in all of the Bible. We're going to see Jesus feed 5,000 people. It's actually the only story outside of the gospel, outside of the resurrection, of Jesus that's mentioned in all four gospels. You think that's interesting? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this miracle. Why would God have this in the book every single time? See, whenever God tells you something one time, you know it's very important. Whenever God tells you something four times, he wants you to listen. He wants you to understand. He wants you to hold on to this because this is going to be something very important for your life. And what we're going to see today is Jesus feed 5,000 people. Jesus is going to perform a miracle. And as I was thinking about it, um, the sermon title today is called Jesus Feeds 5,000. But that's, to be honest, kind of a lame sermon title. Okay, that's not really, that's not a lot of fun. Now, if you notice that whenever we do sermons, most of our sermons are just, the sermon titles are kind of boring. They're, they're kind of lame. I'm just, I'm just not very clever. And, and the reason that we do that is because I want for you to be able to go back and listen and know exactly where we're at. That, that we, we kind of name the sermons this because we want them to be easily archivable for you. So in five years when you're, you know, thinking, oh, I read this Bible verse about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. I remember Pastor Byron preached that out of the book of Mark. Let me go on iTunes or to the website and let me find it. What was that sermon called? Oh, it's called Jesus Feeds 5,000. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. But it is kind of a, a lame, a lame sermon title. I'm, I'm just not that clever. I have a friend of mine, he's super clever when it comes to naming his sermons. I mean, the other week he preached one called um, The Blessing and the Breakdown, and that was over um, David, you know? And and then he did one out of Romans 6, about two in the tank, and it was all about baptism. And I'm thinking, that's such a clever sermon title. Like, how does he come up with that? How does he do that? Like, that's that's just genius. And so I started thinking this week, if I were clever, what would I name this sermon? Okay, what would I name this sermon if I were clever? And then it hit me that I would call this sermon How to Make a Miracle, because that's exactly what Jesus does. That a miracle is whenever God shows up. A miracle is whenever God does what only God can do. A miracle is whenever the kingdom of heaven invades the kingdom of earth, and we realize God's love and God's fullness and God's power and God's promise and God's purpose in our lives. That's what a miracle is. And in this section of scripture, we're gonna see the greatest miracle out Outside of the resurrection that Jesus is going to do a miracle for and in and through his disciples by feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and the reason this is so important is because God wants you to know God does not want you to forget that he is a God who loves and can and does miracles in our lives. How many of you, you need a miracle? How many of you are at a place in your life to where you need God to show up? How many of you are at a place in your life to where if God doesn't move, it's not gonna happen? How many of you have people that you're praying for, people that you are believing for? You have a situation or a circumstance in your life that you need God to show up. You're so tired, you're so stressed, you're so anxious, you're weary, you're worn out, you're burnt out, you've done everything that you can do. You're at the end of your rope. If so, then that's a perfect place for you to be because that's how miracles are made. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark, starting in verse 30, and we're going to see Jesus teach his disciples how to make a miracle by the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to read it all. We're going to make a couple of observations, and then we're going to give you five ways to make a miracle in your life. Here's what we see, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and they had taught. Okay, let's just pause right there for just a sec. Okay, so what's happening here is if you remember back a couple weeks ago, Jesus, he calls the disciples to himself. So the disciples, they they come to Jesus and he says, okay, I'm calling you and now I am sending you out, that you are going to be my missionaries, that I'm going to send you out, you're going to go, you're going to teach, you're going to preach, and you're going to reach as many people for me as possible. And then he gives them authority. He says, you have authority. Over the unclean spirits, you're going to go, you're going to pray for people, they're going to be healed, you're going to anoint them with oil, the sick are going to cover, you're going to preach, people are going to get saved, it's going to be amazing. You've been with me now for two years, it's time for you to get up, it's time for you to go and do something. And then Jesus sends out the disciples. And we see that they went, like they, they just did it. And, and so they've been out on mission, they've been on a little short mission trip now for maybe three, maybe, uh, maybe six weeks, maybe three months. That's what most scholars would say that this is about a six-month break before what we see in Mark chapter 6. And at the end of that trip, they come back to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, everything you said that was going to happen, it happened. This is amazing. For people and then they got delivered. We, we prayed over people and they, they got healed. And you know, we laid hands on people and we saw God do amazing things. We preached, people got saved, people got baptized, churches got planted, a gospel centered movement happened in the heart of downtown. That's absolutely amazing. Everything you said would happen. Guess what happened? It all happened. And Jesus, is like, told you so. It did a great job. And so that's where we're at right now. So the disciples, they come back to Jesus. They're excited. They're jacked. They're fired up. They're happy. And then the story continues, verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Okay, I just, wanted, I just want you to understand the heart of Jesus for a sec. Right? The disciples, they've been out. They've been working. They've been serving. They've been blessing. They've been helping. They're tired. They come home after a big, long trip. And here's what Jesus wants them to do. He says, go take a nap. That's Jesus' heart. Jesus is like, oh, you guys did such a great job. Now go get some rest. Get you a nap. All right, go hang out for a little bit. And then he says, it looks like you're hungry. He's like, for many, we're coming and going, and they had no leisure not even to eat. He's like, man, you guys look tired. You look like you're hungry. You look like you need a break. Hey, let's just go hang out. Let's go take a nap. Let's go get us something to eat. I love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. And they they went into the boat, into a desolate place, to go hang out by themselves. Now many saw that they were coming and going, and they recognized them. And then they ran there on foot in front of the towns, and all of them were ahead of them. So they come back, and Jesus is like, you get a great job. Let's get in the boat. Let's go hang out. Let's take a trip. Let's go on vacation. Let's take a day off. And they're like, thanks, Jesus. That sounds amazing. So then they all get in the boat, and they're like, we're going to just go across the other side. And then as they get in the boat, the whole city says, hey, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the disciples? Oh, it looks like they're taking a day off. It would be a shame if I ruined that for them. And then they're like, look at all of those people. Let's go follow them. And they get on the boat, and then the crowd beats them to the other side. They're chasing after Jesus. They're running after him. He gets in the boat to get away from people, and as soon as he gets off the boat, guess what's there? People. Ugh. <laughs> But when he we went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. How many things? Many, many things. That's right. Jesus taught them many things. In Matthew's gospel, it says that, that he taught them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule, God's reign being made evident in your life. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan for you. And Jesus, he sees these people. He has compassion on them. And they're gathered together. And guess what Jesus does? He preaches them a sermon. I just love that about Jesus. It says, how many things? Many things. How many points do you think Jesus' sermon had? Okay, it had a lot of points, lots of points. People were like, you can't really preach sermons with points because people won't remember. You need to have a one-point sermon. Jesus taught him many things, had many points. And some of you are thinking right now, Byron, do you have a point to this sermon? Okay. <laughs> yes, I have five. Just wait. Just, it's going to get there. So Jesus teaches them many things. How long do you think Jesus' sermon was? Okay, it was, it was actually pretty long. Here, here's, here's what it says. And when it grew late, that's dark. Could you imagine listening to a nine-hour-long sermon? Makes my sermons look pretty short there, doesn't it? (laughs) And when it grew late, his disciples came and said to him, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away. Get them out of here. We don't want them here. In Matthew's gospel, whenever it says, send the crowd away, the word there is rabble. That's the way that they see people that they're just bothering them. They're just an inconvenience to them. They're getting on their nerves. They're preventing them from doing what they actually wanna do. And so they tell Jesus, look, it's late. We're hungry. We're tired. We're frustrated. These people are getting on my nerves. Just get them out of here. It's a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy them something to eat. Jesus, we're late. It's hungry. We're tired. Wrap Sermon's almost over. Do your altar call. Let's get these people out of here so we can beat the Baptist to chilies. Come on, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Verse 37. (laughs) Verse 37. But he, that's Jesus, answered them You give them something to eat. See, I think it's interesting that they were like, Oh, look, all these people, they're hungry. Jesus says, You feed them. Isn't Jesus annoying? Has he ever done that to you? You're like, somebody should take care of that. And Jesus is like, yeah, you should. <laughs> they're like, oh, these people, they, they need to go home. Jesus says, okay, yeah, well, why don't you help them? These people, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, why don't you go show them what they're doing? They need to go eat. Okay, good. Why don't you go feed them? Isn't Jesus so annoying? Has Jesus ever done that to you? Only me? Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm the pastor. Um you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that's the disciples, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? A denarii is a day's wage. So they're saying it's going to take 200 days wages to be able to feed all these people. Philip, he's sitting there trying to figure out the math, right? He's like, okay, we got a spreadsheet, we got Excel, we got QuickBooks, we got the We got the bank account, everything. How many people? Okay, we got 5,000 people. Add the men, women, and children. Okay, here's how it's going to take. We're going to have to get 200 denarii to be able to feed these people. The equivalent of that is $24,000. Do you have $24,000? Yeah, I bet they wish they did too. They couldn't feed those people. You got 24, Jesus, you got 24. Nope, I I ain't got it. Jesus, it's impossible. We crunched the numbers. We ran the math. It's just not going to work. It is impossible. It's going to take a Miracle. miracle. Luckily for us, Jesus does miracles. And so what the disciples are about to witness is the greatest miracle outside of the resurrection in the Bible. And what Jesus is trying to teach them is what doesn't seem like enough for us is more than enough for Jesus. And Jesus is going to perform a miracle. Here's how it goes, verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they heard and they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they all sat down in groups by the hundreds and the fifties and taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke it. He broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the fish among them all and they all ate and they were all satisfied and they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men." Now, last year, whenever we were praying and we were asking God, what is it that you want us as the Lord, church to begin to teach? And I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit that the Lord wanted us to do a big book, a deep dive, a long study through a very large book, something that would take us years for us to do. And something that would be life-changing, something that would be legacy-building for us as a church, something that would be able to look back and tell our grandkids about, something that by the time we were finished, who we are, what we do, our core values, everything about who we are as a church, it would be different because we spent so much time immersed in, steeped in, studying the Word of God together. And so I knew that the Lord wanted us to do a deep book, a long book, something that would take us quite a while. But I'll be honest with you, Mark was not my first choice. Okay, did you know that? Mark was not my first choice. My first choice was actually the book of 1 Corinthians. I wanted to do a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. It was going to take us about 30 weeks, and I was going to call it Christians Gone Wild, because that's exactly what 1 Corinthians is, or or bad Christians, great Savior, one of the other, because that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. 1 Corinthians is all about one jacked-up church learning to follow Jesus. Like, that's all it was. Like, it's just one church, and they're going to their pastor, and they're like, hey, pastor, let me ask you some questions. Can I speak in tongues in church? He's like, "Mm, probably not the best idea. Can I run around naked? He's like, no, don't do that either. That's 1 Corinthians. And and so I'm like, that sounds just like redemption. Let's let's teach this. And then I was like, you know what? Probably not the best idea. We'll hold on to that a little bit later. So I put it in my pocket. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll preach to the book of Genesis. And then I was like, I don't even understand this book. How am I going to teach it to other people? (laughs) Probably not smart enough, and it's probably not a really good place to start there, because if you thought Herod was weird, just wait till you read Genesis 6 with Noah and his daughters. Awkward. It's, just not, it's just, not a good, just not a good thing. So I was like, you know what? Let's just shelve that. We'll pocket that. We'll come back to that at a later date. And then I was thinking, you know what we really need? I was praying. I was like, God, what is it that our church really needs? What is it that we really need to study and to learn? What is the one thing for us that would change everything? And like the Lord said, people just need to know who Jesus is. That if we start right here and we understand who Jesus is, then our understanding of Jesus is going to change everything else. The key to understanding the rest of this book is by starting with Jesus. Because this entire book is really all about him. From the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation, every word you read, every page you read is ultimately only pointing you to the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is on every page of this book. And if we understand who Jesus is, then that's the key to unlocking everything else. And so over the course of our church, we're going to preach a lot of different books, right? My prayer, Ashley asked me the other day, she said, she said, Byron, do you have a bucket list, something that you want to do before you die? My prayer is I want to be able to say on the last day of my life, I got the privilege to preach through the entire Bible. So for us, we're going to cover a lot of different books, but it starts here. It starts with our understanding of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, how Jesus lived, and what this means for us, and how we can begin to live our lives like Jesus, and that's how we settled on the gospel of Mark. So I remember when we were studying Mark, I was like, okay, this is, this is the simple gospel, and we called it the simple gospel, not because it's easy, but because Mark wants you to know in the most simplest of ways who Jesus is. That compared to Matthew and, and Luke and John, there's, there's not a lot of Old Testament references. There's not a lot of prophetic books. There's not a lot of georaf- geographical references that you need to understand for it in order to make sense. Mark just says, here's who Jesus is, plain and simple. It's, it, this is exactly what happened. There's no filler. There's no, filler, there, there's no uh, placation towards religion. He doesn't pat you on the back. He just lets you know as quickly as possible, this is what Jesus did. This is what happened. This is the truth. This is the gospel. And so that's how we settled on Mark as the simple gospel. So I went up to our deacons and our leaders and I said, okay, here's where we're at. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the book of Mark for two years. And they were like, two years? How are we going to do one book for two years? And I was like, well, we're going to break it up into a little series spread across two years. But either way, it's going to take us about 100 sermons to do that. And they're like, why are we going to do Mark? How are we going to do Mark? Don't you think there's other things that we could talk about? Because what happens so often is whenever we come to the gospels and to the Bible stories that we read, all of a sudden our brain begins to fill in the blanks. We're like, I've heard that before. I've read that before. I know that story. I read it when I was a kid. Now I read it to my kids. It's not really that big of a deal. Why are we going to spend so much time studying in the gospel of Mark? Shouldn't we come up with something new to say? Just so you know, if you ever come up with something new from this book, it's called a heresy. There is nothing new. That's not how it works. You can't be like, oh, I was reading the Bible. And I think that I, after 2,000 years of church history, I think I came up with brand new. No, you didn't. You didn't. Somebody already came up with that in 300s, and they were declared heretics. So you didn't come up with anything new. You're like, I was reading this book, and God told me to take my pants off. No, he didn't. Keep them on. That's not how it works. You're like, oh, I was reading, and I think Jesus is a way among many ways. That's not what it says. Keep reading it. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. You're like, well, I found something new. No, you didn't. So one, there's not going to be anything new. And if a pastor comes to you and says, I have some new rev Okay, no, no, no. That's not how it works either. So there's not anything new. And then other people are thinking, well, it's just going to get boring. Don't you think it's going to get boring studying the same thing day in, week in, week out, month after month? Isn't that going to get so boring? Don't we know these stories before? And that's exactly what the problem is that for many of us, we become so familiar with the scriptures that they've begun to lose its power in our life, that our brain automatically fills in the blanks. And so when you go home and you're reading your Bible and you open it up and you're like, okay, I'm going to do the simple gospel. I'm going to read through the Bible. And you open it up and you say, okay, Mark 1, chapter 1. You're like, John the Baptist, got it, bugs and hungry you know, flip the page, and then you read it, and you're like, oh, okay, Jesus, get baptized, the dove comes, the father, okay, this is my son, okay, great, and then you flip over, you're like, oh, here's the temptation, yeah, Satan, and demons, and angels, and, you know, okay, great, and you flip it, you're like, oh, here's where the guy cuts a hole in the ceiling, they lower him down, he's a cripple, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees freak out, okay, flip the page, next, and what happens is, as we're reading the Bible, all of a sudden, our mind begins to fill in the blanks, and what becomes so familiar, eventually, is what robs us of our power, that you get so familiar with the scriptures that it begins to lose its power in your life. If Jesus fed 5,000 people, this is not something we should gloss over. Just literally think about it. Put yourself in this situation. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. If this happened, this is insane. This is incredible. And just to blow your mind a little bit more, Jesus didn't actually feed 5,000 people. It says in verse 44, he fed 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and the children. Commentators say that on this day, there could have been upwards of 25,000 people present for this miracle. And he feeds 25,000 people, the multitude, the crowd, with five loaves and two fish. Just for reference, Provost Humphreys Stadium, where Lamar University plays, only seats 15,000 people. So this is standing room only, max capacity. all the fire marshals. Get the city to shut the thing down. There's way too many people in here, amount of people. And Jesus feeds all of them with five loaves and two fish. This is, in cra- this is crazy. This is incredible. This is a miracle. And what happens so often is stories just like this lose its power because we become so familiar with it. We think, oh, yeah, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Then (laughs) he won't take care of me, though. We think, yeah, Jesus, he fed all those people, but he's not going to do it for me. Yeah, Jesus would do it then, but he's not going to do it now. He'd do it for their life, but he's not going to do it for my life. We read this story, and we think, yeah, that's a great story. I believe it in theory, but I don't believe it in my heart. Yeah, Jesus could do it for them, but he's not going to do it for me. Have you seen my life? Do you know my story? Do you know my addictions? Do you know my past? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what I'm walking through? Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my family? Have you seen my children? Have you seen what I'm going through? Fills in the medical charts. Have you seen what's happening in my life? I read the Bible and my brain fills in the blanks and say, yeah, Jesus, sure, I believe it in word and I believe it in theory, but I don't believe it in my heart. Jesus would do it for them. He ain't going to do it for me. Jesus would do it then, but he's not going to do it now. He's not going to do it in my life. And what happens is because we become so familiar with the stories that it loses its power in our lives. And what God wants you to know is that Jesus did miracles And he can still do them today. That Jesus did it for them, and he can still do it today. That Jesus did it back then, he can still do it today. And he knows that if you didn't read it in Mark, he's going to tell you again in Matthew and Luke and John, because he doesn't want you to forget this, that Jesus can, still does, will do miracles in our lives. Because that's who Jesus is. And so are you in a place where you need God to show up? Are you in a place in your life to where you need God move? Do you have somebody that you're believing for? Do you have someone that you're praying for? Do you want to see your church grow? Do you want to see your family change? Do you want to see your friends get baptized? Do you want to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus? Do you want to see God do something amazing? Then you need to go and they out to make a miracle and so what jesus is going to teach the disciples today is how to make a miracle and there's there's five things that we need to learn here's what the first thing jesus tells us he says if you want to see god do something amazing the first thing is this rest in his presence here's here's what it says in verse 30 the apostles returned to jesus and they told him all that they had done and taught And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So the disciples, they come back, they're jacked, they're fired up, they're excited, they're ready, they're rearing. They're like, Jesus, this was incredible. Like, Jesus, some dude just walked into Starbucks and I just started praying for him. He got healed right there on the spot. That was amazing. You're like, well, I stood on the side and I started preaching and they had like 40 people who just came, bowed their knees, bowed their head, gave their lives to Jesus. It was incredible. I prayed for somebody and they were healed. Somebody came up to me and they said, I heard you cast out demons. I'm like, I think I can do that. They're like, here's my mother-in-law. Can you help me? And then I prayed for her. And it was like, this is incredible. Everything Jesus said happened. Guess what happened? It all happened. The disciples, they're excited. They're like, Jesus, this worked. This is incredible. Jesus says, I know. It's amazing what happens when you believe in me. Amen. It's amazing what happens when you do what I tell you to do. It's amazing what happens when you step out in faith, because when you step out in faith, you can watch me move. It's amazing. And so you guys, you guys did a great job, but you know what? Just looking at you, it looks like you're kind of tired. You tired? Well, yeah. Are you hungry? I could eat. Jesus says, okay, good. Let's, let's go get something to eat. I love that about Jesus. That Jesus is like, you look tired, we need to go get some rest. You look hungry, you need to go get something to eat. Why don't you come away with me? You've been working for me, you've been helping me, you've been serving me. Why don't we go spend some time together, just you and me? Why don't you find rest in my presence? I just love this, that if you want to see God do something amazing in your life, what we need to do is we need to find rest that comes from his presence. You know, you and me and so many of us, we spend our whole lives just running around everywhere. That we're running around, we're working, we're tired, we're exhausted, you have college, your GPA, you got work, the kids are pulling on you, you got to make them cereal, they spilt it on the floor, now you got to clean it up, there's just not enough laundry to go around and you just keep grinding it out, day in, day out, you're late to work, you got to stay overtime, you got to get the kids home, you got to pick them up, now they got to go to T-ball and then the bills are due and the bills are piling up and you got a budget and you got a spreadsheet and somebody's calling you and you feel like you're fixing to die because all you do is work and all you do is go and all you do is grind it out. That so many of us in our lives, we're exhausted, we're tired, we're frustrated, we're worn out, we're depleted, we feel like we're defeated because all we do in our lives is go, 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 go and eventually it feels like we're about to die. We're We're about to fall apart because that's not the way that God made us to be. And what Jesus is teaching us is that we need to find rest in his presence, that many of us, oftentimes in our lives, that we end up in the same place that the disciples are. We're so busy worrying about other people that we forget to spend time with Jesus, that, that we're so busy just working and doing and going. And what happens is we don't take care of ourselves. We don't eat right. We don't sleep well. And we don't spend time with Jesus. And what what Jesus is telling us is this if you want to see the miraculous, first you got to spend time in his presence. That if you want to see God move, you got to spend time with him. If you want to see him do something amazing, you got to prioritize his presence in your life. If you want to see the miraculous, then you got to find rest in his presence. And what happens is so often in our lives, because we're coming and going, we don't have time to stop and rest and just be in the presence of Jesus. If you want to see God move in your life, then you have to make time to spend time with him in his presence. And you know what I find is so incredible, it is so amazing, is that oftentimes when we get to that place where we're tired, when we get to that place where we're worn out, you know what typically is the first thing to go? Time with Jesus. That we've been working so hard, we think, I can't go to church. That we've, been, that we've been struggling so much through the week, we think, if I go to community group, people are going to ask me how I feel, and then I'm going to have to be honest with them, and I just don't have it in me to do that. And, and, then, and we think, well, I can't serve, and I can't give, and I can't participate, and I can't help, and I can't read my Bible because I just don't have enough time. And because so often in our lives, we get so tired, the first thing that we cut is we cut his presence. And many of us in our lives, the reason that we're tired, it's not because your brain's tired. It's not because your body's tired. The reason that so many of us are tired is because our souls are tired, that our souls are hurting. Our souls are longing. Our souls are needing to be flourished. Our souls desperately need the presence of Jesus. If you want to see God do something amazing and miraculous, first, you need to find rest in his presence. And so they come to Jesus, and they're tired. They come to Jesus, and they're hungry. They come to Jesus, and here's what he says. Let's go to a desolate place. If you want to find rest, then you also need to find a desolate place. Here's what a desolate place is. A desolate place is a place where the presence of Jesus resides. A desolate place is a place where there is no email. A desolate place is where there is no phone calls. A desolate place is where there is no Instagram or Facebook. A desolate place is where there is no distractions. There's nothing hindering you. There's nothing holding you back. That's what a desolate place is. And for many of us, what we need to do is we need to find a desolate place. Can I just tell you this? That skipping church on Sunday is not a desolate place. I know that it feels like it in the moment and you think, well, I'm not gonna go on Sunday. What I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna wear my pajamas till two o'clock and I'm gonna sit on the couch and I'm gonna watch Netflix and drink coffee. That sounds like a desolate place. Just so you know, that's not a desolate place. Skipping community group because you're tired is not a desolate place. Not reading your Bible because you're tired is not a desolate place. Staying up till two o'clock in the morning playing video games is not a desolate place. Checking your iPhone and your Instagram before you even read your bible when you wake up in the morning while you're still laying in bed and you drop the phone it hits you on your head is not a desolate place that's not a desolate place what all that is is this those are temporary distractions that's all that it is. It's a temporary distraction that does not provide permanent rest. It might be a respite, but it does not give you rest. Rest is only found in the presence of Jesus. So what we want to do, what we need to do, is we need to spend time in Jesus' presence, spend time with Jesus' people, spend time figuring out what it is that Jesus has next for us. Many of you, you're so tired, you're so weary, you're so worn out. It's not because it's busy it's not, because you're, it's not because your heart is hurting. It's not because your body is sad. It's not because of any of those things. It's not your brain. It's not your heart. It's not your body. The reason you're so tired is because your soul is tired. Come on. Because you're not spending time in his presence. And so what he says is this. If you want to see the miraculous, first you've got to spend time in his presence. So the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus says... Let's go hang out. You and me, let's go, let's go spend some time together. And then the story continues. The second thing we see is, if you want to see a miracle, here's how a miracle is made, that you realize his compassion. Now, many saw them coming and going, and they recognized them. Hey, that's Jesus. That's the disciples. Let's go see what they're up to. And then they ran foot from all of the towns, and they got there ahead of them. Whenever he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came and said to him, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy them something to eat. And then Jesus, he answered them. And here's what Jesus says. You give them something to eat. Okay, so did the disciples get their day off? No. Did the disciples get their dream vacation? No. Did the disciples get to nap? No. Did the disciples get a whole day to where they could drink tea and journal in their ESV study Bible and do a vision board? No, they didn't get to do that either. What happened? They were interrupted. On their day off, the day that was supposed to be just for them, Their nice little vacation, their moment. They probably had big plans for how they were going to spend this day. And here's what they got instead. Maybe one hour on a boat that maybe they got to spend an hour on a boat, and they were heading across to the other side. And as they were heading across to the other side on their day off, on their vacation, on their break, all of a sudden, there's a massive crowd of 5,000, possibly 25,000, a crowd, a multitude of people. They show up, and they interrupt them. They show up, and they bother them. They show up, and they're like, oh, you're trying to get away? We beat you here. How would you respond if this happened to you? How would you respond if somebody was like, oh, hey, I need your help? You're like, nope, it's not not my job. It's my day off. It's not my day off. It's my day off. And people do that all the time, though, don't they? Don't they come to you and push on you and pull on you and make demands of you? Some people are just really needy. Not you people, but some people are just really needy. And they're like, oh, I need this and I need that. And everything, every day is the biggest problem in the world. And I'm just thinking, why is your problem always my emergency? How does this keep happening to me? And then how many of you, when somebody interrupts you on your day off, how do you respond? How do you react? Okay, I'll let you know, as your pastor, I don't do very good. Okay, I I just don't. I was thinking about it this week, that last year, me and Ashley, we were going to go on our 10-year wedding anniversary. Whenever we got married, we didn't have any money. We were broke, and so we went camping. That's all we could afford was to sleep on the ground. And now, (laughs) that was a joke. You'll get it later. And so now we're like, it's our 10-year anniversary. Let's, let's go do something great. And so we decided we were going go to go to Mexico. And so this is going to be amazing. We're going to go to Mexico. We're going to sit on the beach. Nobody's going to know my name. Nobody's going to know I'm a pastor. Nobody's going to even know I'm a Christian. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to sit on this beach. I'm going to read my Bible. Hey, I'm just telling you what I was thinking. I know you think it too. So I was sitting there. I just got the beach. I got my, I got my music. I got my... You know, earbuds in, and, and I'm just gonna read this book, drink a fruit fruit drink with an umbrella. It's gonna be amazing. Get some sun, and I'm just so excited. I'm looking forward to this trip, because I just wanna, I just, I just wanna unplug. I wanna unwind. I, I wanna break from everything. And so what happened was we go, and we, we get checked in, and then we find ourselves a little spot on the beach, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm reading my book, and I'm listening to some music, and me and Ashley are hanging out, and then this guy and his girlfriend come and sit next to us, and I'm like, just ignore him, just ignore him, keep reading. And um, he strikes up a conversation with me, and I'm like, okay, I gotta be nice. So I'm like, hey, yeah. He's like, oh, so, so, you know, I was talking to him. I was like, well, what do you do for a living? And he's like, actually, I'm an underwear model. And I was like... <laughs> what do you do? I'm a pastor. (laughs) And so we started talking. (laughs) We didn't have a whole lot in common. (laughs) So we started talking, but there was one thing that we did have in common is that he had just recovered from drug addiction. So he was in treatment. He was going through the next steps and stuff. And so we started talking, and, um, and I told him my testimony, my story, that I also am um, recovering drug addict. And so we connected over that, and I'm talking to him, and he just starts pouring his heart out and telling me all these things about his life. And here I am on the beach in Mexico doing inner healing to an underwear model. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, Jesus, it's my day off. And so the next day, me and Ashley were like, okay, let's go a little bit further down the beach. <laughs> So I go down the beach, and we, we get another spot, and again, sitting there listening to music, and then another dude comes up, and, um, and him and his girlfriend, super cool, they're like all sleeved out, tatted up, and um, we start talking about tattoos. And he's like, okay, well, here's my tattoos and stuff, and so we're checking them out, and, and, then, um, and then he asked me about mine. I'm like, okay, this is my grandmother's house. This is where I was raised. I told him a little bit of my story, and I tell him about this, and this tattoo is um, the book of Acts. Uh, it's, the, it's the ascension of Jesus where in Acts chapter 2, he, he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit falls down. And I tell him all of that. And he's like, oh, you're religious. And I'm like, yeah. And he says, well, I'm an atheist. Let's talk about it. Aww. So I'm like, God. now I'm doing presuppositional apologetics on the beach <laughs> on my day off. And I'm like, Jesus, I didn't come to Mexico for this. And so the next day, I'm like, all right, we're going to go a little bit further down the beach. We're going to go this way. We went down the beach so much, so we almost ended up in Belize. I was just trying to get away. (laughs) And so we get down there, and then all of a sudden, again, another couple comes up to us, and I'm reading my book. And he's like, hey, um, what's that book? And I said, oh, it's um, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. It's a great book. I recommend it. Go read it. It's one of the best books I read in 2018. And he's like, that's a Christian book, right? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I saw that. Um, it was recommended by a lot of different other pastors and authors. He's like, are you a pastor? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, me too. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so I started talking about planting churches. And he says, I'm a church planter too. And so a pastor and church planter, they're in South Carolina. We're from Texas. And here we meet in Mexico, And so when you start talking about pastoring and planting churches and all this stuff and what Jesus is doing in your life and our life, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, at least he's not an underwear model. That's amazing. (laughs) But that's not how I wanted to spend my vacation. That's not what I wanted to do. That's not what I want to go through. I mean, what are the odds that me sitting next to a recovering drug addict, what are the odds of me sitting next to a you know sleeved-out atheist? What is the odds of me sitting next to a church-planting pastor? How does that even work? How does that even play out? But that's just exactly where God had me, that you never get a vacation from following Jesus. He's always going to get you. He's always going to be right there with you. And so here's what we need to know is that every miracle st- with the problem that the key ingredient for your miracle is your inconvenience that every miracle it started with the problem did they get what they wanted no they didn't get what they wanted they didn't get to take their day off. They didn't get to go on vacation. They didn't get to drink fruit fruit drinks with umbrellas. They didn't get a day off to where they could marry condo their apartment. No, this did not spark joy for them. That's not how any of this worked for them. It was an inconvenience that it was an interruption, that it was a prayer. They were thinking for them. They wanted to get rid of everybody. They said, what are these people doing here? Why are they here? They were thinking about themselves. They were thinking about their lives, and they were missing out on what God wanted to do right in front of them. Inconvenience, inconvenience is the key ingredient for your miracle. They said, Jesus, get rid of these people. That's how they responded. That's how you and me responded. But how how did Jesus respond? He said he had compassion for them. That oftentimes the people we see as an inconvenience, Jesus has compassion. That Jesus, he loves them. He cares for them. And they're not an inconvenience to him. Isn't it amazing that Jesus doesn't treat us the way we treat other people? I mean, how grateful are you that when you came to him, he wasn't like, quit bothering me? I mean, isn't that amazing, the the heart of Jesus? That we can come to Jesus anywhere, anytime, and he's always there for us. He's never bothered by us. That you're never an inconvenience to him that he doesn't send you away. In fact, God sent his only son to die for you so that you could be welcome. Jesus, he has compassion on the people. And then he says something else. He says, you go feed them. And I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to give his disciples his heart for other people. He says, you go feed them. You go take care of them. You go reach them. You go help them. I have compassion on them. I want you to help them. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to reflect his heart for other people. You know, if all we see his people as inconvenience, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do. And I love this, that Jesus says, you go feed them. They're like, Jesus, we got to feed them. And he's like, why are you looking at me? You go feed them. But I think that's what oftentimes we do, that oftentimes what we do when it comes to our walk with Jesus is we expect somebody else to do what God wants us to do, that we expect somebody else to do the work for us. We're like, oh, somebody needs to reach them. Jesus says, okay, why don't you go reach them? You're like, oh, that's not my job. I I can't do that, you know? And somebody's like, you know, we want to see people get saved. I'm a daycare worker. I can't do that. Right. That's why our church has intercessors. They're gonna pray for the move of God and then I'm just gonna show up on Sundays and expect it to happen. And oftentimes we're looking at other people to do what God has called us to do. Jesus says, you go feed them right? You want to you want to you wanna see them get fed? Okay, you go feed them. You, you want to see people get saved? You go reach them. You're like, but Jesus, I didn't take an apologetics course. He says, it doesn't matter. You go and you feed them. You want to see people get saved? You go reach them. You want to see your best friend get baptized? Invite them to church. Don't expect the pastor. Don't expect the deacon. Don't expect someone else to do it. God is calling you to do it. He says, you go feed them. And you think, well, that's an inconvenience but the inconvenience is the ingredient for your miracle. And so Jesus is trying to show them his compassion that he has for other people, the way that he loves other people. And then he says, I want you to share in my heart for people. You go feed them. So if you want to see a miracle, the first thing is this, that you have to rest in his presence. Number two, realize his his compassion. Number three, remember his faithfulness. Jesus says, you go feed them. And here's what they say. Shall we go buy 200 denarii, Worth of bread and give it to them something to eat. Jesus says, all right, go feed them. And they're like, we can't do that. How are we supposed to do that? We don't have 200 denarii, right? You got 24,000 grand laying around? No. Okay. Well then we're not going to be able to take care of these people. We're not going to be able to, I need you to read this with a sense of sarcasm. Jesus says, go feed them. And they're like, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth the bread? And then we can just give it to them. Like, how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen. It is impossible. It's going to take up. Miracle. But you know what's amazing is back in verse 30, they just came back and told God about all the miracles they did. They already forgot that he could do miracles. In just, what, seven verses? They already forgot, but how quick are we to forget too? How quick are we to forget what God has done in our life? You know, sometimes we get so discouraged. We get so defeated. And oftentimes, anytime something goes wrong in our life, God's off his throne. We're like, oh, God's forgotten me. God's forsaken me. God's off his throne. He's turned his back on me. He's walked away from me. I'm all alone. I'm going to do this all by myself. Why doesn't God love me? Why has God forsaken me? Why has God forgotten me? And then he's saying, no, you need to remember my faithfulness that I was there for you then, I can do it for you again. That you saw me do it in verse 30, I'm going to do it again in verse 37. Just wait. Why do you forget what God has already done for you? Why do we forget? We get so discouraged. We feel so defeated. We get so down. Anytime something goes wrong, we think that God is going to turn his back on us. No, what he's doing is this. He's saying, remember his faithfulness. He says, you go do it, and then I want you to remember my faithfulness for it. Sometimes I want to give up. Sometimes I don't think that I can keep going. Sometimes I don't feel like I can keep moving forward in my life. And in those moments, here's what I'm going to do. I got to remind myself of his faithfulness. I have to remind myself, no Byron. Do you remember when you were praying for years to have a child and you could not and all you had was miscarriages and nothing else would come from it? Do you remember that? Look down. You got a 2-year-old girl. Praise the Lord for it. Remember his promises. Keep moving forward. He says, he's, I gotta remember his promises. Do you remember that time when your church first start, got planted? And then that woman came in. Her body was racked with cancer. She came forward, took communion. The Holy Spirit moved through her. She called you that week cancer-free. Do you remember that? Okay, good. Then keep moving forward. I have to remind myself, do you remember when the church was only 40 people and nobody gave? Do you remember that? Look around you. Look at this new building. Look at all these new people. If I did it for you, then I can do it for you again. Just remember his faithfulness. Do you remember that time whenever your rent was due, your car broke down, and somebody stole your bike all in the same week? Do you remember that? And then you went to church that morning, and some stranger walked up to you, handed you an envelope with just enough money to pay your rent, to pay your bills, and buy groceries. Do you remember that? Do you remember just a year ago when your whole house was filled with 10 drug addicts just getting out of rehab, living in a halfway house, and they're so excited, they're so fired up, they're so passionate about Jesus, you got to baptize every single one of them on the same day. Do you remember that? You gotta hold on to his promises. You gotta remember his faithfulness. When you remember his faithfulness, you're able to move forward. Some of you, you're missing your miracle because you've forgotten his faithfulness. He's done it for you then. Just think back to all the things that God has done in your life. Just think back to the ways that he's moved. If he did it then, he can do it again. And some of us, we miss our miracle because we forget his faithfulness. We think, well, what if God doesn't show up? What if he does? That's faith. What if God doesn't show up? What if he does? What if God doesn't do it? Well, what if he does? I would rather believe God for what he can do than what he might not do, right? What if he shows up? What if he moves? What you gotta do is you have to remember his faithfulness and remind yourself of his goodness. He's trying to show the disciples. Just a couple of verses ago, you are telling me all about all of the amazing things that I've done for you, and now you think I've forgotten you? I'm gonna do a miracle. Just trust me. Number four is to rely on his resources. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so that they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by the fifties. So the disciples, they're hungry and they're tired and they're exhausted and they want to send everybody away. But here's what Jesus says instead. Why don't you go ask them if they have any food? Go ask. Could you imagine this? Can you just think about Peter? You're like, Jesus, you want me to go ask all these people for food? They're like, yeah, why don't you go and see? He's like, there's 25,000 of them. He's like, I know, it's going to take you a long time. You better get to work. <laughs> and, so, and so Peter, he's got to go ask all these people, hey, do you have any food? That's kind of humiliating a little bit, isn't it? That you got to go ask all these people, hey, do you, have, do you have any bread? No? Okay. Hey, do you have any, do you have any fish? No. Uh, do, you, do you have a cracker? Do, do, you have, do you have a bag of Skittles? Do you have a Red Bull? I'm tired. Do you have anything? Do you have anything for me? Oh, what do I got? This time. A bag of M&M's. Yay! Do you have anything? Anything. I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. I want to go home. And everybody's like, no, I don't have anything. You know what I think is interesting? There's maybe 25,000 people. Nobody brought anything? Nobody had anything? Not even a stick of gum? Nothing? Nobody had anything? 25,000 people? They were like, nope, not, nope, I don't, I don't got anything. Or was it that they were unwilling to give? They just didn't want to share. They thought, if I, if I give this to Jesus, then there's not going to be enough left over for me. John's gospel tells us the only person who was willing to give was a little boy. And all he had was five loaves and two fish. And he was willing to give that to Jesus. And everybody else is like, nope, can't have none. Nope, can't sit with me. Nope, nothing here. Nope, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Because if I give it to Jesus, then there's not going to be enough left over for me. Do you see the conviction coming? It's coming. And so the disciples, they go to Jesus. They're like, here's all we got. Five loaves, two fish. Guess it's not going to happen. Might as well send them away. Time for us to go home. Jesus said, well, what'd you get again? Five loaves, two fish. Perfect. That's all that I need. See, what doesn't seem like enough for us is more than enough for Jesus if we learn to rely on his resources, what doesn't seem like enough for us is more than enough for Jesus. Jesus can take your five loaves and two fish. He can bless it. He can multiply it. He can break it. He can use it to be able to reach 5,000 people. If all we are is willing to trust him and rely on his resources and be generous with what God has given towards us. If you just give five loaves and two fish, You can see a miracle. A miracle doesn't take a lot, but it does take what you got. You got to give something. You got to put something in. You got to step out in faith, and then you watch God move. And what we need to understand is that there will never be enough on our own. That on our own will never be enough that the vision is too big, the mission is too great, there's far too many people, we can't afford it, we can't do it in our own strength, in our own resources, it's never gonna happen on our own, but with him, anything's possible, and what is not enough for us is more than enough for Jesus, but we gotta be willing, we gotta be willing to be generous with what it is that he has given us. Just think about what he did with five loaves and two fish. What could he do with what little you have. You think, well, I don't have a lot. I know, he's not asking for a lot. He's just asking for what you got. You're like, but I can't afford to do it. Scarcity mentality is the best way to rob yourself of what God wants to do. That, that you're like, oh, if all I got is 20 bucks, or all I got is one hour a week, or all I got is, you know, I, I can't lead because I'm not gifted enough. I can't, my house isn't big enough. I can't open my home for a community group, right? I, I can't go to Tuesday night, all team leader meeting this week because, well, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pleasant enough. I'm not great enough. I'm not good enough. Not enough for us is more than enough for Jesus. If you just trust him with what he has given you and you learn to rely on his resources, that's how miracles are made. You say, well, I mean, what's my $20 going to do? Okay, listen to me. $20 buys us as a church a bag of coffee. That lasts us about three weeks, maybe serves about 400 cups of coffee. Every single Sunday, there's homeless people who come into our church to get coffee and donuts. You're making a difference in their life. You're like, well, all I do is serve in the kids. That makes a difference in the lives of that family. Do you know that every single Sunday we have, we have single moms who come to church on Sunday bringing their kids in and just them getting up and getting to church was the hardest thing they did all week. Yeah. And when they walk in and there's a place that's safe and fun for the kiddos to learn about Jesus and they can experience his presence through worship and the word without distractions, you're making a difference. Yeah. You say, well, all I do is I could just serve one, sit one for one hour and they put me in the parking lot. And I just wear a yellow vest and hold a sign. But you know that research shows that a first-time guest makes a decision whether or not they'll come to the church before they ever leave the parking lot. If they're not welcomed in the parking lot, if they're not welcomed at the door, they're not going to feel welcomed in the church. You're making a difference in people's lives. Yeah, that $20 might not seem a lot to you. But when we all pitch in, when we all play our part and we all trust and rely on his resources, God's able to take that, bless it, multiply it, use it to be able to reach as many people as possible. When we learn to rely on his resources, what's not enough for you is more than enough for him. So the disciples, they're learning this as it goes. And then the last thing we see is this, is that if you wanna make a miracle, here's what's gonna happen. First, you need to spend time in his presence. Second, you realize his compassion. Fourth, is you remember his faithfulness. Fourth, rely on his resources. And number five, receive his blessings. In verse 41, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He broke it, blessed it, and said... He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate that day of the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus looks up to heaven. He takes what they had given him. He holds it up. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he hands it off to his disciples. And from those five loaves and two fish, Jesus was able to feed 5,000 people. Whatever the disciples, they wanted to send them away. But if they would have sent them away, they would have missed the greatest miracle. They saw them as an inconvenience. But Jesus, he had compassion. And here what we see is this. What was bothering them was really a blessing That what they saw as a bother was actually a blessing. That Jesus, he was grateful for what they had given. That Jesus, he was thankful for what was given. Five loaves, two fish, Jesus was thankful for that. That Jesus is thankful even for the little things. That Jesus considered even the little things a blessing and he was able to take it, he was able to break it and he was able to share it with other people and he did the greatest miracle outside of the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus saw even little things as a blessing. There's something to be said about an attitude of gratitude for us to have, for us to be able to see even the little things as blessings, to stop seeing the things that bother us and begin to see them as blessings. I know that in your life, that you're not probably where you want to be, but have you thanked God for where you are? I know that in your life, your marriage probably isn't where you want it to be, but have you thanked God for your husband? Have you thanked God for your wife? Have you thanked God for your marriage? I know right now you have prayers and dreams for your kids, but have you thanked God for your kids? Are you where you're at at your job? It may not be your dream job, but that's where you're at. Have you thanked God for that? Because even the little things could be the greatest blessings if you trust Jesus with them. And so what Jesus does is he receives these blessings, and what does he do next? He gives them to his disciples. You know what's amazing is this. Jesus feeds the 5,000 is actually not a true sermon title. Because Jesus didn't feed 5,000 people. Jesus fed the disciples. The disciples fed the 5,000. Jesus broke it 12 times. And then the disciples, they went and shared it. Because when we receive his blessings, we're able to be blessing to others. And, then, and all Jesus had to do was break the bread 12 times. And then the disciples were able to feed a massive crowd in a stadium. Because they first received his blessings. And then they were able to share it with other people around him. I, I just think this is so powerful to, to think about what happens when we begin to see people the way that God sees them. I just think this is so powerful when we be able to see our lives the way that God wants our lives to be. I think this is so powerful when we're able to receive his blessings and then we're able to share them with other people. Do you remember how this miracle got started? Because it was their day off. They just wanted a day off. They just wanted to relax. They just wanted to rest. They didn't want to be bothered. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. They wanted to send everybody away. But if they would have sent everyone away, they would have missed out on the greatest miracle. And here they are all day long, tired, hungry, exhausted, burned out, worn out, serving, loving, giving, feeding. And at the end of the day, they come back. And here's Jesus. He says, how many baskets are left over? Twelve. I didn't forget about you. I didn't forget about you. I didn't give up on you. I'm going to take care of you too. That not only is Jesus powerful enough to feed 5,000, but he's personal enough to do it just for you. Amen. Because he loves you that much. This has to be life-changing. I have to think whenever the disciples come back and they're like, oh, Jesus, oh, my back hurts, and Jesus is like, why are you so worried? I had to think Jesus is probably smiling at him and looking at him, and he says, why are you so worried? Why are you so stressed out? Why are you so selfish and so consumed and so concerned only about what you're going through? Didn't you know I was going to take care of you? Didn't you know that I was going to be there for you? Didn't you know that I was going to be able to provide for you? I can feed 5,000, 25,000. I could feed all of them. But I'm not going to forget about taking care of you, too. And every single one of them had a basket left over. This is a life changing story, not, not because of the crowd. Sure, it was great for them, the crowd. Yay, five loaves, two fish. This is awesome. But the crowd leaves, it's the disciples who stay. This is life-changing for the disciples. Why do we know that? Because every single one of them mention it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's life-changing for them because what Jesus wants you to know is that, yeah, he's powerful enough to do it for all of those people, but he's personal enough to do it just for you because he loves you that much. Amen. How many of you... This means more to you now than it did when you were a little kid. How many of you, this story is really a story you need to take place in your life today? Because we all need miracles in our life. And what he's wanting you to know is this. He's still a God who does miracles. And he'd love to do one for you. So how many of you need a miracle? How many of you are in a situation in your life where just God is the only way anything's going to get done? That's the best place to be because that's how miracles are made. So here's what we see from the text, four things. Number one, rest in his presence. Tonight at six o'clock, we're having a prayer night. We do it every single Sunday night at six o'clock from now until Easter. We're believing that God's gonna do something great. And I know that every single one of you all week long, you're working. I know you came here, you served today. I know you came to church and it took everything out of you just to be able to make it through those double doors. And you're tired. I get it. Find rest in his presence. Here on Sunday night, there's no sermon. There's no preaching. It's just the presence of God. We pray, we believe, and we expect God to move. Number one, rest in his presence. Number two, realize his compassion. He loves people. He cares for people. He doesn't want to send people away. He wants them to bring them close realize his compassion number three remember his faithfulness remind yourself if you have to take a journal today and write out all of the times god has moved in your life remember it put it somewhere important put it in your car put it on your fridge put it in your house put it on the mirror so that way every single day when you're feeling defeated when you're feeling discouraged you can look at that mirror and you can remember no god has moved before i know he can do it again and then rely on his resources That we know that whenever we give, we never run out because there's always more than enough. And so we learn to rely on his resources in our life. In your own strength, you're not going to make it. In your own ability, you're not going to make it. You're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough time. You're never going to have enough of anything. But if you take what you have and you give it to him, what's not enough for you is more than enough. And then lastly, number five, receive his blessings. The greatest blessing is the gift of salvation that Jesus, he gives us his life. And as we receive his life, then we're able to begin to share that with the people around us. And we become grateful and thankful for what it is that he's done. So here's how to make a miracle. Number one, rest in his presence. Two, realize his compassion. Three, remember his faithfulness. Four, rely on his resources. Number five, receive his blessings.